I'd like to welcome everybody this morning. We're uh, thankful for another opportunity to be in the Lord's house. She was going backwards on that one. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but uh, we appreciate everybody making an effort to be here and uh, just look forward to having a great day in the Lord and just uh, looking forward to feeling the Lord's spirit. And, uh, we was uh, able to go with uh, the youth group and sing yesterday and that was, that was a real blessing. Um, hopefully the Lord will let you share that with the church maybe a little more but that was uh i appreciated being there and being able to feel the lord's spirit when he was there but uh we just look forward to having a great day and hoping to see some people move this morning but uh i'm gonna ask dad will you dismiss us to sunday school Well, it's good to be here. Appreciate uh, everybody coming out. Glad we're uh, back to a spot where we can have Sunday school. Good to have Doug back up in the sound room. Uh, glad he's feeling better. And uh, sure miss Carl. Uh, do all the time. I thought about him as I was reading through this lesson, a couple of different things, and I miss him and Imogene. Uh, I know they're probably watching, so hope you guys are doing well. Um, Look forward to seeing you back soon. A lot of folks in the same uh, situation, you know, and I understand people uh, with the pandemic not feeling comfortable being here, but uh, we need to pray that things get, you know, back to where everybody that wants to be here can be. Uh, so, but we sure miss those folks. Uh, but good lesson today, uh, Brother Ryan got a hold of me I guess it was Thursday or Friday and asked me about teaching and I told him I would try uh, so we are in the 17th chapter of the book of uh, St. John pretty interesting uh, time uh, and we'll talk about that as far as where this is chronologically to some other things that happen and what exactly is going on and so um Right after this chapter, this is chapter 17, uh, right after this chapter, chapter 18, is when Judas betrays Christ. So they're, they're in the garden, um, and so that tells you chronologically where this is. And, and, and Jesus knew that his time was getting, uh, was at hand. I mean, some of the things he says... Even at the end of chapter 16, he said, Behold, the hour cometh, yea, and now come, that ye shall be scattered. Um, and so he knew, because of being God, he knew what was transpiring and what was unfolding. Um, and so he's, here in chapter 17, what he's doing, and we'll read verse 1, said, These words spake Jesus and lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father. So he's praying here. I mean, he's communicating with God the Father. And the first uh, 13 verses, is, is, it really isn't in the lesson. I mean, it's good reading and, and go back and read it. I mean, he's praying for himself and for some things that need to happen. Uh, 
when you get down to verse 14, he starts praying for the disciples. And then later on in this lesson, he prays for us, which is pretty uh, illuminating if you see what, where his heart was. And one of the things I mentioned that I, I thought about Brother Carl uh, and I thought about Brother Bill and, and my dad are just three examples. Uh, I, I don't sit as close to my dad as I did when I was young. When I was real young, I, a lot of times I'd sit right by him. But when it comes time to pray, you know, I'd always kneel down and pray. But there have been a few times, and I've prayed by Carl and I've been close to Bill, uh, where I would pray a little bit and, and maybe my attention, for whatever reason, would get drawn to who was right beside me, and I would hear them praying. And boy, what a blessing. Uh, if you listen to somebody pray, if they're praying aloud, uh, you find out where their heart is pretty quick. Uh, you know, uh, if their heart is, boy, I sure wish I got a raise and was making more money, uh, you know, that's going to be a whole lot different prayer than Lord help us and, and give us conviction and draw those that are lost and help our church and help this one that's sick. And so if you listen to people pray, and I have a few times, uh, it's a real blessing. And even a lot of times when I'm always amazed at Brother Carl, when he when we come in as deacons and, and take up the offering, when you know we used to come here, and I, hopefully again at some point in the future we'll get to do that, and we'd actually pass the plates and take up the offering. Man, Brother Carl can—he's uh, just got a gift. He can—he can pray. I mean, he can put words together, but it's not just the words. Uh, It's—he gets hooked up. You know, and man, sometimes we get back there uh, after we've collected up the money, and I, first thing I say is, man, the Lord really blessed you to pray, or good prayer, or, you know, uh, I appreciate that. But we get to look into here, uh, because John wrote it down, and, and I'm so glad he did, we get to look into this prayer, and Jesus had this in front of his disciples, and there was a reason for that. I mean, I really think he was praying, but so much of what he did was so that they would see and it would be an example for them because he knew he was leaving. I mean, he says here, the time has come and now is. You're going to be alone and you're going to be scattered. You're not going to be all together in this group anymore and I'm going to be not physically here. He knew it. So... He's praying this because he wants, and he does it this way because he wants them to hear it. He wants them to remember what he prayed for them. And he's setting an example for them as they go forward and have, you know, their ministries throughout the world of how they should be. So there's the, kind of the backdrop uh, for where we are. So let's look at verse 14. He's praying here. I have given them, and the them, remember this is Jesus speaking, and if, if you're looking in your Bible, you'll see it's red. I mean, this, if you've got a red letter edition. So, you know, Jesus speaking, and he's standing here looking up, talking to God. I have given them thy word. So the them he's talking about are the disciples. I mean, they're his, his flock that are right there around him. Um, and I actually think at the point that he's doing this, I think there's 11 of them there. I don't think Judas is actually physically there right at this minute. Um, and certainly Judas uh, is, is excluded, and, and there's a couple of things that he says. Um, I don't know if it's actually just the 11 people that we would identify as the disciples right here, uh, or if, if it's even the bigger flock. I, I really think it's probably the bigger group of people, uh, but certainly those 11 uh, are, are at the center of it. But he's saying to God, I have given them thy word. I mean, he's told them what God has wanted him to tell them. And the world hath hated them because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Does that sound familiar? I was thinking about this past year and things that we've seen and 
pretty alarming to me, and I think should be to all of us, when our government in the land of the free and the home of the brave, and I love America, but when our government tells churches you can't meet together and congregate and worship God for any reason. Now, I understand, and I, and I mean it wholeheartedly. I, Carl and Ima Jean, a great example. You know, they don't feel comfortable coming because of the risk to their health, and I don't have any problem with that. I, I respect that, and that's their decision. And we've closed things a few times because it just seemed like the most prudent thing to do. But uh, it's pretty scary, and you look in some of our other states, California is an example. Uh, California has issued decisions, uh, orders two different times where that you can go to the Walmart and you can go and eat at some restaurants, but you cannot open the church doors. And that's gone to the Supreme Court, folks, and the Supreme Court ruled that that order was not valid on an order on a count of five to four. One person away from them saying, yeah, the state can close churches down and treat them differently than they treat retail. That's persecution of the church. And you can wrap that up in any color or anything you want. That's persecution. That's scary to me. I uh, never thought I would see that. I remember as a kid, uh, we had it at Elida High School. They brought in a couple of people, and they told us all. And we all met up in a big uh, group. They said, these people are from Russia. They're here to talk to us about how things are in Russia and how they do things there and different than us and why they're right and we're wrong, essentially. Well, of course, the people at the end of this thing, they, they revealed to us that these people weren't actually from Russia. They were actors, and they had brought them in, and it was a bit of a ruse. But, boy, it really opened your eyes to how things – but I remember thinking, man, those poor people over there, that they persecute them, and they, you know, some, they won't let them necessarily go to church, and they don't have the freedom. Freedoms you know, are great, and we've, we've got a lot of them, but we've got to be careful. But – the world, back to this lesson, is going to persecute the church. And, and Jesus tells his disciples here, and he's telling us why that is. The world hath hated them because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. And they crucified Christ, and if your heart is convicted and you say no to it, hardened your heart there's a there's a hatred a resentment and I don't know if you guys have ever experienced that but I've had people that have felt and treated me that way I wasn't doing anything but just trying to live my life and you know hey do you want to go out to the bar no I don't do that well that offends them wow you're too good to go have a drink with me well no I just don't drink alcohol well why 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 is that or you don't play the, you know, you don't play the, the football uh, pool here at the office? Why not? Well, I don't gamble. Well, that's only a couple of dollars a week. Surely you can afford that. Well, it isn't, the, it isn't the, about the amount. It's the action. I mean, if it's a nickel, that's as much gambling as if it's $100,000 if you gamble it. So it, there's a resentment that'll, that'll occur. It, it convicts people. I mean, if you live right and people don't want to hear it, it, it convicts them. And, and I've had that happen, and I'm sure all of you had. I mean, there's nothing special about me. Everybody in here has probably experienced that. But the world doesn't like what we are and what we stand for. So why do we do it? 15. I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but thou but that thou shouldest keep them from the evil. So Jesus is praying here, and he's saying, Lord, the world hates my disciples, but, and I'm getting ready to leave, but it's not time for them to leave. Don't, don't remove them. Keep them here, but protect them. Well, the same, he, he's praying the same thing about us. I mean, he feels the same way about us. 
And we should feel that way about each other. I mean, we're going to be persecuted. The world isn't going to like us for the message that we have. Uh, but so, again, why do we do it? Just keep that in mind. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. So let's stop there and talk about sanctification for a minute. Um, these are people, I believe, who he's talking to God about, who he's praying about. These are his saved followers, okay? Um, I believe these are people that have believed in him. He said, I've given them your word. Uh, don't remove them. Keep them here. Protect them. The world's going to hate them. So these are people that are saved. So let's talk about sanctification. Big word. What's sanctification? Anybody have a, even a definition? Roger, you're a definition guy. Sanctification. Set aside. That's great. Right on. Sanctification. Set aside for a special purpose. Um, Bible teaches us in, in a variety of places. Come ye out, be a separated people. We're different. We should be different. We are inside if we're saved. And on the outside, our life should be portraying that. All right? So, sanctification is a is an easy topic to misapply or to get confused. So let's talk about when you see me, who is, who is it here that you're looking at? Well, there's this flesh that you see him, and down on the inside there's a soul that God has saved, and when the spirit moves and, and things are going good, you might get to see him, you know. But this guy here, you're looking at all the time. So we've actually got an article of faith in our church manual. These are the 18 articles of faith. This is article number 10 of sanctification. I just want to read this. We won't spend a whole lot of time on it, but it just you know fits right in here uh, with this lesson. So this is what we believe. We believe that sanctification is the process by which, according to the will of God, we are made partakers of his holiness. That it is a progressive work. That it is begun in regeneration. Salvation is what that's saying. When we get saved is when sanctification starts with us. And our soul is sanctified and sealed at the moment that we're regenerated. When we're born again, our soul gets it all, okay? But there, remember, there's two of us. And so sanctification is primarily, in, in the way it's used, talking about this outward guy. Because you guys don't have to follow me around very long, and you'll know that I'm not perfect. This outward guy is not, and I make mistakes, and it's a daily process. And that's this, this progressive work that it is begun in regeneration, and that it is carried on in the hearts of who? Believers. So these are people that are saved and that are going about daily trying to live correctly by the presence and power of the Holy Spirit, the sealer and comforter, in the continued use of the appointed means. So it's telling us here are some examples of things you can do towards working towards sanctification. The word of God, which is what this scripture is talking about here. Christ just said, I've given them thy word. And then in this scripture says, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. So reading God's word, meditating on it, self-examination, you know, prioritizing where am I at? Have I prayed this week or have I been too busy with other things? Um, Self-denial. And there are things that, you know, and I was just talking about some of them. I can't go with my coworkers out to the bar and have a beer after work on Friday night. I know that's not right. The scriptures teach us that's not right. If I do that, I'm still saved, but I'm certainly not in a position of sanctification. I'm not close to God, all right? 
watchfulness and prayer. All right, so um, that gives you a good idea of, of sanctification. And if you want to go back and read that later, that's Article 10. Uh, it's a great article. But sanctification, I sum it up as every day I have to get up and I start all over. What I did yesterday, it does matter. I mean, it counts. But I've got to live today for today. I've got to constantly strive to be better. Um, and God, you know, Christ is asking God here to help his disciples, and he wants his disciples to hear this. They need to hear that they need to live daily in a fashion that will be a light to the people around them. So anybody have any comments? Yep, that's good. I appreciate that. Um, and Trey uh, did a, a, uh, a webcast here a couple of weeks ago, and he called me. He said, you see my webcast? I said, nobody haven't had a chance to look at it. I was actually driving when he put it on. He said, you'll want to watch it. So I got on and looked at it, and uh, he actually used a phrase that I told my kids when they started college. But it's a, it's a great application for life and for Christian life. And what I told them, when each of my kids started college, I said, I want you to know this. College is a marathon. It's not a sprint. You can't graduate in the first semester no matter how hard you run. I mean, you need to do well and you need to apply yourself, but it's four years and it's, it's a marathon. Well, life is that way, and that's the way he applied it in what he was saying. You know, uh, and, and there's, there's ups and downs, but we, we need to be consistent. Uh, the one, if you, and I've shared this with a number of you, but when I think of my grandfather, P.L., the thing that I think about first is consistency. And he had little ups and downs. We all do. But I always admired how he strived to, whether it was, you know, an up or a down, he tried to be consistent do the same things, serve God, come to church. Now, he wasn't perfect, uh, but I've always admired that consistency. I think it's a great trait, and we all need to be consistent in God. Now, Dad has preached, and I love it. You know, if, you get, if you're in and then you do something and get out, the devil will tell you, well, you need to stop getting in and out, but he always tells you that when you're out. He never tells you that when you're in. But... If we'll get in and apply, you know, what this is teaching us and be consistent, then we can be an influence. And that's really what this is all about. We are the light of the world through Christ. Okay, it's not our light, but we've got to be in a position where he can shine on us and we can uh, be an example to the world. We're the only light that this world has. Again, through Christ. I'm not teaching my own righteousness. I'm teaching his. But we have got to be that mechanism, the church. And that's what this whole lesson is really about. And it's what Christ's prayer was. He was praying, God, help these folks understand and get in a spot where they can be a light to a lost and dying world. They're the only hope that this world has, even though the world hates them. Anybody else? Okay, uh, so 17 again. Sanctify them through thy truth, thy word is truth. And so I, I don't think you, which the word word here isn't capitalized, and so I do think it's, it's talking about God's direction, but I also think you, you, I can never talk about God's word without talking about back in the first chapter of John, Christ is really the living word. And so, again, it, has to, it all starts with belief and regeneration, being saved. That's where it all starts. And you've got to have Christ as the beginning of it. As thou hast sent me into the world, even so have I also sent them into the world. So uh, the Great Commission, which uh, is a few scriptures uh, and I, I probably got that written down, so I don't know that I need to go to it. But the Great Commission, Christ tells his church, go into all the world, 
preach the gospel. Uh, you know, try to do everything you can uh, to get the word out there. And then when people do believe, baptize them into the church. I mean, that's the Great Commission. So he's, he's telling God here, I've, you know, I've sent them out, uh, but help them, protect them. This is a, a great verse right here, back to sanctification a little bit. And for their sakes, for their sakes. So Jesus talking to God, but he's referring to the church that's around him. And for their sakes, I sanctify myself. Wow. I don't know that I'd ever really recognized that before, that Christ said he, he sanctified himself. So all God, all man... Was, was Christ able to take a step off of the right path? Was there an opportunity there for him to do that? I mean, Scripture says he's tempted in all manners like we were tempted. For there to be temptation, you have to know that you can actually reach out and get that, right? He never did. I mean, if something is locked in the bank and I have no means of getting in there, I can look at it and go, boy, I wish I had that money. But if I walk by and there's nobody in the bank and the door's open and the vault's open and all I've got to do is walk in and right there's a pile of money and there's temptation because I've got a means to go get it. If the bank is locked and I have no way of getting into the bank and no way of getting into the vault, I can go, hmm, boy, I wish I had some of that money, but there's really no temptation. Christ was tempted. He, and we had this discussion once in the Sunday school uh, that Denny taught out in the fellowship hall. I believe Christ did have thoughts, and, and I don't think he uh, engaged in those. I don't think he did anything proper, but he was tempted. If he wasn't tempted, then he was just a robot, and what he did really didn't mean a whole lot. It doesn't connect him to us. But he, he was tempted just like I am. You know what one of my biggest difficulties is in doing things for God? I'll just share mine and maybe somebody else. Doubt. I don't doubt that God can and then fill in the blank. But I doubt that blame. Any of you ever there? I mean, God gives me something and I'm like, I just don't know if I can do that. You ever have that? How about you, Neil? You ever there? I mean, I know I am. I know Neil does. He and I, you know, I mean, we, we chat. But, I mean, and maybe everybody doesn't have that same thing. But I don't, you know, I don't doubt that God. I mean, he's, he's proven time and again that he can. Now, here's something else. I don't always know what God's going to do. Okay. I don't doubt that he can. What do you think about the Hebrew children? Do you think they knew that God, that Christ was going to meet them in the fire when they were getting ready to get pitched in? I mean, they may have, but they may not have. But they still were faithful either way. I think they knew God could, and I think they knew that they should go the route that they were going, but that didn't mean that God was going to necessarily save them. There's examples where it wasn't God's time, and he allowed some of his saints to move out of this world across the river. We're not, we didn't come here to stay forever. So that's some of my difficulty, uh, is, is doubt. You know, can I really do that? Any, anybody, I mean, you don't have to, but does anybody else uh, want to share that, what their thoughts are on Yep, I agree with you. Uh, there's plenty of examples. Um, so Christ here is saying that he sanctified himself uh, so that his church around him could see that. And he wanted them to hear this and know this. He wanted them to realize 
That's the example that we need to follow. That's the example that we need to follow. It's still the same example. I mean, we need to take these steps uh, and do the things and try to live in a way that we can be a light uh, to the people around us. Um, and I, I do think Christ had the opportunity to sin or to go off of the path. If he hadn't had that opportunity, it really isn't a temptation. I don't think he ever engaged it. Obviously, I mean, we, we believe and teach that he was perfect in every way. Just having a thought come in your mind to walk in a bank and take the money isn't a sin if you immediately go, nope, I'm not going to do that. I know that's wrong. I'm going to go a different direction. I'll give you an example of, of a, a situation that happened to me. And I'm not trying to brag on me. This is just an example that happened. I had, I had a, I'm not going to use any names, but I had a client at my law office and I handled some money in a transaction for him and we had a couple of bills that had to be paid out of the money and so I did a uh, as I always do I did kind of a receipt and said gee we took in this much money and here's what we paid and here's what I'm giving you and I wrote him a check and it matched you know everything matched up and he left and went home he was happy a year and a half later one of the checks that I had written the company, for whatever reason, said, gee, he didn't owe us that money. We forgave that. And they wrote a check back, not to him or not to my law office, but to me personally, and sent me a little letter and said, we're sending this money back. This came from you for him, but we're sending it back to you. Here's a check. It was a couple of thousand dollars. So got this check, and I've got this client that has no expectation and no way to ever track this money back doesn't expect to get it back, and if he never gets it back, we'll never think again about it, and there's no way that the dots will ever be connected between that company and my client. So what do I do? Well, I got to tell you that the thought crossed my mind for about that long, well, I could put that in my pocket. Nobody will ever know. I didn't. I, I took it into my office manager, Brenda Noser. I said, Cheryl, call this guy up. Get him in here. We've got to give him. So he came in, and I sat down and explained it to him, and I said, here's your money. I mean, it wasn't mine. And, and, I mean, I did what I was supposed to do, but for that long, the thought crossed my mind. So is that a sin? Well, no, I don't think it is. I mean, I think that's being human. Now, if I had headed down that road and given it any more consideration, well, I'm getting pretty close to a sin. Certainly, if I stuck that in my pocket, that's theft whether he could ever prove it or ever knew about it or not. So that's what, that's what I'm talking about. You know, I think Christ had these thoughts that came in his mind, but he never went down the road with them at all. He was perfect in the way that he handled them. But if he didn't have the thoughts, then he's, he's not human. It really it doesn't bring him to us. And he is our intercessor between us and God. So in, in Oh, absolutely. Yeah. It is, and I want to, and I know Kenny's got a comment, and I'll come right to you. We've got to be careful because if we, as saved people, continually, if I had taken that money, I would have felt terrible. And if the same thing had happened a month later and I kept the money again, I would have felt terrible. But over time, I can become callous to what God is trying to tell me. I still know it's wrong, but he's not going to convict me as hard the 10th time that I take that money as he would have the first time. Um, and we can get to a spot where we become so callous, we just turn our back on what we know is right. Uh, and God's still there to tell us, boy, this isn't right, but we can harden our heart and it doesn't become as, as much of a reproach as it should. And that's a bad place to be. That's a scary place to be. Uh, but uh, Kenny, you had something.
I agree with you, and it, I will say that there is one action that we can take that doesn't actually use our hand, and it, it's a lustful action. If I was sitting outside that bank and all I was doing was thinking about how can I break into that bank to get in there to get that money that's not mine, then I've acted in my mind on it. And, and we can sin right here. It's probably the place where I sin the most rather than with my hand. And I, you know, I don't go out to the bar and have a drink of, of alcohol with my, with my coworkers. But I can engage in things right here and act right here. So I agree with you 100%. It's the action. But we've got to be careful with those thoughts. I don't think the thought jumping in my mind was a sin. If I had engaged to that thought and thought, well, how can I do this and went down that road, I'm getting closer and closer to a sin, and at some point I am sinning. Um, but I agree with you. The action is, is, is the big part, but we've got to be careful acting right here. Right. So that, that's what happened to him. And, it, and we're all human, and we can all, you know, do that. We can all <clears throat> act on it, and that's what we're not supposed to do. And when we don't do it, I think that is part of sanctification. That's what Christ is trying to teach us. Right. great point. So let me ask you a question. Is struggling with Satan a good thing? Sounds good, right? Dally hit the nail right on the head. I thought we'd have a little discussion, Dally. You cut the chase for me. Dally's exactly right. Struggling with Satan on the surface, that sounds really good. You're struggling against wrong. Struggling with Satan isn't good. If you realize you're in a battle with Satan, say, get behind me, and God will put him there. If we're struggling with him, that means we haven't made up our mind to say, get behind me. We're still considering, hmm, should I put that $2,000 in my bank account, or should I give it back to this fellow that it really belongs to? So, yeah. Scriptures tell us, I set before you a blessing and a curse. And I realize that has, that's, a, that's a, a soul decision, but boy, it's also a natural decision. Every day and multiple times a day. What path are we going to go? You know, what path are we going to go? But let's, let's get back to this because we got... A few minutes left and I want to get to this but and I think everybody understands it but this is all and Jesus is praying for for them and, and now this next couple of verses for us this is because he knows we're the only hope that a lost world has we're gonna get beat up we're gonna be tempted we're gonna have challenges but he's praying for these this little church here and also for us so that we'll understand, and our focus should be salvation of a lost and dying world, because we're the only hope they've got. So, verse 20, and I love this. Neither pray I for these alone. So he's saying, Father, I'm not just praying for this little group that's right here around me. I am praying for them, but, but for them also which shall... Future tense, shall believe on me through there. Now, when he says there, he's talking about what the disciples, the church, okay, because the church is now carrying the gospel. It's their commission, so through their word. So he's not saying, you know, Blaine Brock's righteousness, but if I'm able to testify to somebody, I'm telling them about Christ's righteousness, right? So he's not just praying for Peter and John and James and Thomas. He's praying for Roy and Kenny and Dally and Terry and Neil. He's praying for us because we're that those that shall believe 
From there, it was a future tense pursuant to the word. And, you know, just had a granddaughter born a week ago. When she believes, she's in that same group. Okay, so that's why we're doing it. As long as we're here, we've got a mission, and it's to get the word to that lost and dying world. Okay, and he's praying for us. How cool is it that Christ here, a few minutes before he's going to be taken by the Roman army, is praying for me and you? I think that's pretty cool. That they all may be one, as thou, Father, art in me and I in thee, that they also may be one in us. So these are the ones that he's talking about, this future generation of people that are going to be saved. And he's praying, help them really believe, you know, not a superficial or something that leads them, help them really believe to be one with us, the Godhead. When I really got saved, I knew it. And I've been one in my soul with the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit ever since. Now, my flesh, as I told you, you don't have to follow me around long. You'll see me make mistakes. But that soul has been united. But he also wants our flesh to be sanctified so that we can be a light and, and can glory in and through him. So let me hurry along. That the world, and, and let me see. And here's, here's the, the real crux of this whole lesson. Why does he want all of this? That the world may believe that thou hast sent me. That's it right there. That's, if you don't remember anything else, this prayer that he's praying, what he's asking God, what he's trying to get us to do, that the world may believe. That's the, that's the bullet point. Highlight that if you don't highlight anything else. You know, it's amazing to me, uh, and I think Dad just said it recently, uh, but, and, I, and I've used it as a measuring stick so many times, a tuning fork for my life when I'm prioritizing, back to that sanctification, that self-examination. But when I'm examining myself, one of the questions that I ask myself is, do I have a burden for somebody that's lost? That's one of, that's maybe the first, you know, and that's, through, through our pastor's teaching, but that's one of the things that I try to ask myself. And boy, there's sometimes when I say, do I have a burden for somebody that's lost? And my mind will say, well, I've been praying for the lost, and, and there's probably some people coming, and I hope they come forward and get saved. We really need to have a burden, and not necessarily just for one, but we really need to ask God for a burden, a vision, because a burden is really a vision. You're really saying, God, I'm praying because I want to see that guy right back there that I've got a burden for walk up and get saved. So a burden is a vision. We need to have a vision and be praying that direction because God will hear that. And if we don't have that, I'll just tell, say me, I'm probably not as close as I should be. I need to move up and ask God for that and, you know, sometimes it's a guy back here and sometimes it's a little child over here. It doesn't always necessarily stay, but God will give you that. And if you don't have that, you probably need to be closer. It's just my experience. Okay. Let me see here. So 22. And the glory which thou gavest me, I have given them that they may be one even as we are one. 23, I and them and thou and me, that they may be made perfect in one. So that perfection, we're back to talking about the soul here, okay? We're not going to reach perfection in this flesh. Sanctification is a progressive work. It starts daily, and every day you've got to handle it again. This flesh, will, you know, it'll, it'll get out of line. So it's a daily thing. But the soul, once it's saved, it's sealed. And that the world may know that thou hast sent me and hast loved them as thou hast loved me. This love is root word agape. This is the same love 
that is in John 3.16, for God so loved the world. What does agape mean? It's a God love. It's the type of love that requires sacrifice. Okay? God sacrificed. Christ sacrificed. They didn't just say, I love you and send you some roses, which that's a good love. That's a different word. Okay, it's not a love like Philadelphia, like Neil and I have. That's a brotherly love. I love him as, you know, as my brother in Christ. This is talking about that love that God has for man. But man can get to that point of having that kind of love for the world and also for God. Well, why do you say that? Well, Corinthians 13. The same word in Corinthians 13 that is charity is the same root word as this agape. It's a little bit different word, but it's the same root word. Where that it's talking about, uh, you know, if you've got all these things, but you don't have charity, they, 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 they just transcribed it charity there, but it's the same word. It's, it's love, but it's a love that is a giving love. It's an action word, okay? It's a verb. It's not a, an emotion only. It has emotion to it, but it's a verb, and that, it, that's so important uh, I wish I had a little more time. I had a few more things to go over on this, but I'm about out of time. But just remember that this love that he's talking about here is that agape love. It's a godly, sacrificial, and, and it's, a, it's the type of love that when you have it, you're willing to sanctify and take those steps and give up the things that you're supposed to give up. So um, verse 24, and then I'll be done. Father, I will that they also, whom thou hast given me, be with me where I am. I think that's meaning they're saved and they've sanctified themselves. And when I come down in a service and the spirit moves, they're there. Because I'll tell you all myself again, I've been in spots since I've been saved and we'd have a hallelujah service, but I wasn't, I hadn't sanctified myself right and I didn't get in it very good. And what I got was, oh me instead of amen, okay? And so what he's saying here is, I'm praying for them. Let them stay where they need to be so that they can get blessed when I move. That they may behold my glory, which thou hast given me, for thou lovest me before the foundation of the world. That love, agape love, okay? That's a really good study. Thank you uh, for your attention. But Study of love, if you just want to do some study, there's about five, at least five different words that mean love. It's pretty interesting to me. My son-in-law, uh, everybody knows is German, they use, the, they use different words for love where we use one word for love in the English language. Well, biblically, they did the same thing. You've got Philadelphia, you've got philia, you've got agape, lots of different types of words for love that really mean different relationships and it's important to know which word, as you're reading the scripture, which love word that it is that's being referred to. It helps me and continues to help me, and I hope it helps you. Thank you for your attention. I appreciate uh, the class.